brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, four videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Well, there is something strange in your neighborhood today, dear people. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and for years we've been speaking with researchers and experts in an effort to better understand the secrets and mysteries of the world, one being the existence of non-human entities, and we've heard many different perspectives on this along the way. Some say they're aliens coming here from a distant world. Some say they're more likely spiritual beings from another dimension of some kind, summonable by ritual magic. Others will tell you they're a product of dimethyltryptamine in the brain. And a few will even suggest that these superior beings are the true masters of our earthly terrarium and the farmers of human crops from facilities deep underground or on the dark side of the moon. We also speculate about government involvement. Do deep state military contractors have alien artifacts and exotic metamaterials from crash sites and portal places? Do secret societies maintain some type of contact with things non-human? Is NASA a bland vanilla overlay to something much more foreign than the masses can take? Obviously, these are the things we wonder about, and we may never get the full picture, but it's clear that it can't all amount to nothing. Well, one of the hottest hotspots for high strangeness is the vast deserts of the American Southwest, where we find heightened activity along certain parallels, but also more specifically near the place they call Skinwalker Ranch in rural Utah. A place that spiked in notoriety in the 90s after some strange experiences came to light and the ranch ended up being purchased by billionaire Robert Bigelow, who in the years since has rocketed to the forefront of private aerospace operations, a reality that many believe is connected to the intense study of this paranormally potent area. Folks, today's guest Ryan Patrick Burns has told me that much has changed since then, and he would know, as several years ago he reorganized his life to focus on the pursuit of these mysteries, operating a quaint, tranquil, rustic bed and breakfast by day, and exploring the vastness of the landscape by night. He now has a Rolodex of experiences that blows more minds than the U.S. military, rubbing elbows with top researchers and connected contractors, meeting with Navajo elders that claim to be skinwalkers themselves, seeing dogmen, men in black, and even being shot by beams of light from orbs in the sky, all while keeping tabs on the ranch, its surrounding area, and the changing of the guard that recently took place. He writes about all these experiences and more in his two published books on the subject, Skinwalker and Beyond, and the Utah UFO Ranch, but he also has a third book in the works, which I have had the privilege of reading before its release, that brings the latest and greatest to the table as well, and I can't wait to dive into it. The Utah UFO Ranch researcher and paranormal portal pursuer, Mr. Burns, welcome to the higher side. Thank you so much, Greg. Amazing introduction. Ah, uh, thanks. I try. And I am so psyched to do this. In fact, we're sitting here now because you happen to be a Plus member who left a comment on one of the shows that said, hit me up for an NDA-free Skinwalker Ranch episode, and I was intrigued by that. I reached out, and you shared not only your two most recent books, but also some privileged photos and videos, some which do show strange-looking canines, not exactly humanoid, but not very typical either, but also maybe the best footage of seeing an opening and closing portal-like thing that I've seen. Pretty wild stuff. 
And I'm really glad we ended up here. To get the ball rolling, I guess tell us a little bit about how you ended up in that area and maybe give us a bit more context for why the area is so special. Absolutely. The area is special for a variety of reasons, but to answer your first question, I was a fly fishing guide in the area. This was back in the mid-90s before there was any idea that this property at the epicenter of it all, or the area in general, had these unique traits. And I had a situation where I saw a light in the sky. I ended up getting injured. And to make a long story short, I was just driving around because I couldn't work, looking for fishing spots, stuff like that. And I drove right down the ranch road. There was no gates back then. There was a older Native American. I couldn't tell if they were male or female. And they just didn't look very good. Hmm. They looked bedraggled. They had a Navajo blanket over them, which is odd now in retrospect because this is Ute country. And I stopped trying to be the Good Samaritan. And I rolled down my window and said, hey, can I give you a ride somewhere? It said nothing. It just kind of crept into the vehicle. And within seconds, it was like I was having my Rolodex just completely accessed. Like I'd been hacked and everything, just mind rape, really. Hmm. Like just accessing all your files. And it was just phenomenal, like horrible yeah. and emotional experience. The way it ended up is I was found at Bottle Hollow Reservoir by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Basically, my truck was parked and I was hanging out of the driver door with my seatbelt holding me in, just catatonic. And I guess they woke me up and I came right to. They knew right away I wasn't drunk, did the tests, and basically said, what happened? And when I told them, they said, we think you got nabbed by the skinwalker. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've never heard that term before. Wow, man. That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. Even that someone like that would disclose to you that that would be a possibility. But that seems to be par for the course in this area, right? I mean, this is the hottest of hot spots. Yeah, it really is. And in speaking with law enforcement, I've had the pleasure of doing that just when you're going to the same spots thousands of times, they get to know you. And usually the Bureau of Indian Affairs is the first call. And so, you know, they're constantly running your ID and they start to chat with you. Mm -hmm. Eventually, they'll start telling you stories that, you know, just make the hair on your neck stand up. Hmm. I love it, man. And to talk about Robert Bigelow and the ranch itself, I think people know that this is a hotbed for high strangeness. We have this provocative story of a billionaire buying this secluded ranch and investing a huge amount of money in military-style security. But can you elaborate on the backstory a bit for people who are only vaguely familiar with it? As you said, when you got there and you had this initial experience, there were no gates and fences and security drones up, but things have changed. Get us from point A to point B. Yeah. Robert Bigelow purchased the ranch in an effort to attain something that was very unique at the time. And like I said, it was basically a family being completely bombarded by this dormant land that had been laying there. It's like they came and knocked the dust off of it, so to speak. Hmm. And there was immediately a multitude of cryptozoological poltergeist activity, UFOs, unidentified smaller craft triangles strange humanoids portals opening up you name it tons of for lack of better word men with the heads of dogs and it's just fascinating bigelow attacked this he spearheaded this huge campaign getting the best minds aiming them in the direction of this and attacking it through scientific method and unfortunately what was found was that it could care less about scientific method. And it can use every exception to the rule, to its benefit, and leave absolutely no trace of itself. Hmm. And I've seen 
a lot of footage and pictures of the space itself. It does just seem like barren land, kind of, as you said. Of course, there are some facilities, but this is a lot of acreage that's just kind of open out there. But there are some weird elements to it. Like, I think the most provocative is probably the bait pens, these little pens that seem set up in the middle of clearings to kind of maybe put a goat or a cow in there and see what happens. Obviously, cattle mutilations are in the mix of all this weirdness. But what can you say about maybe some of the things that you've seen out there or you, you know happen to be out there that kind of add to the mystery? Yeah, the area is just so unique from a historical perspective. It's cursed land. And then it also has curses going back and forth between Buffalo soldiers who were stationed there to control Fort Duchesne and the Ute tribe that was there at the time. And most of those Prince Hall Mason Buffalo soldiers were also practicing voodoo. And so there was curses going back the other way. Add to that, there was like an underlying curse from the Navajo upon the Ute. The Ute kind of screwed the Navajo over in a lot of ways. And everything from getting ripped out of the San Luis Valley of Colorado, which is also very paranormal, to being added to the slave trade. Anyway, there was this curse that was placed upon them known as the curse of the skinwalker. So this is underlying all of this. And geographically, you have this like array of ridgelines that are phenomenally gorgeous, but rugged. And they're very porous. And so right along the same stretch, the Central Utah Project decided to put huge power lines, massive power lines. And they're old and aging at this point, and their shelves have cracked. The EMF coming off of them is just phenomenal. Hmm. And then you have the seeping water coming through this otherwise very porous sandstone from Bottle Hollow Reservoir down towards the ranch itself. And everything just kind of erupts right there wow and to go back to the comment that kind of got us here when you mentioned an nda free skinwalker episode in your writings you do talk about hosting jacques Vallée at your place and plenty of contacts within the inner circle of scientific researchers that you've made over the years and i'm not sure if you heard my show with diana posolka about her book american cosmic but in the same way you seem to have a few contacts that you can't name and know a few things that you can't disclose. But I guess I'd ask, what can you say about the invisible college, so to speak? Yes. Interestingly, I have become more and more, as time goes on, aware of some of these secret societies that, for lack of a better word, I say they're secret societies because people aren't aware of them. Mm -hmm. Some of them are actually government units, others more occult organizations, others are more religious in nature. And I'm mostly fascinated with one of your frequent guests, Nick Redford. Mm. We've spoken about some of the situations and we're under the same impression that we're dealing with this Collins elite, if you will, of the government. And it's highly funded and well known but not in the way that they actually know who the members are. But it's just they're aware it exists. Hmm. So we hear secret and oftentimes we think nefarious. And I'm trying to get out of that specific context because that's not always true. And if there is a mysterious place on the planet and some billionaire buys it and quarantines it off and a bunch of high-level academics and scientists come and study it and don't talk about it, I mean, that's not necessarily nefarious. It's not like they're doing anything. They're just trying to figure out what this thing is, and it's outside of the confines of what society will accept. Maybe there's some manipulation there, but that's kind of outside of their realm. They can't really do much about that. What are your thoughts about the morality or just these people that you do know and you have met and the fact that this is all a big secret. It's fascinating. It's like the biggest secret never told. Hmm. It is literally this tongue in cheek. There's this camaraderie the deeper you get. And it's almost like they know, you know, 
And I say this because as time goes on, I've noticed that I've started joining as many fringe science organizations as I can. I'm studying the, you know, remote viewing as much as I can, practicing it as much as I can, getting into a lot of these perceptions that are otherwise not attained by the majority of the population. And the reason is, I think a lot of the terms that secret societies use, for example, and the less, let's put it this way, the open-minded to ancient teachings of Egyptian Elysian type organizations, Mm -hmm. what you find is they're open to contact with other entities. And I find with some of the most mind-blowing things, like the warnings I've gotten are, you know, you've got to be careful. And this is from very high level individual who is into intelligence, special access programs, special forces training. But anyway, back to the special access program protocol that's been placed on the ranch. This is not privy to any Freedom of Information Act requests ever in the future. This is elevating the extent of this project to a level that is saved for things like extracting the president from dangerous situations. So, you know, it's equal to that. You start realizing that it's serious stuff. And he's warning me that I should beware of opening biochemical portals. And I had to ask him, well, what does that mean? And he's like, well, there's concerns that individuals are able to enhance, open, or help these entities or these portals just manifest. Hmm. And they have a short list of people that are on that. Wow. A short list of people who are actually able to help these portals open and close and help these entities work with them? Correct. It's like anybody that's probably worked at the property immediately is going to be on that list. Anyone that's been thought of trespassing on that property is going to be on the list. Just recently, last week, I heard of something where footage was gathered of somebody going on the property and literally doing a ritual at one of the ranch houses, Hmm. leaving candles behind. And there was speculation as to who this individual could be because the ability to get in and to do this with the screening and the, the extreme security that's in place, it's like born ultimatum stuff. So it's interesting. Yeah. You really got to know someone to be in that position and then to be comfortable enough with the people at that level to say, Hey, you know what? Let's try a ritual out here. Let's do some, some, uh, you know, Enochian invocations out here and let's see what happens. I mean, for them to be open to that, it is quite jarring to the average person to hear about that. But I think it's all in the mix. There's so many connections to the occult and it's really hard. It's, it's a kind of a, a trick of language when you're talking about entities from somewhere else aliens or demons i mean if they're not traveling physically then they're probably traveling multidimensionally and then how do you define the difference you know it's it gets really murky with the language to define these things and we want to put them in boxes but maybe we don't have the appropriate box yes i think that's exactly true it's a lot like i think hunter s thompson had a saying that said something like i wish i would have figured out to go with the magnets instead of against the magnetism and You know, I only say that because there are remote viewers, psychonauts, people with ESP. They have a full-time psychic who is there to protect against potential attacks. I had the unfortunate, or fortunate, very, it was amazing experience meeting this individual in a strange way. I was in a parking lot speaking with another researcher and these two black Suburbans tore in and stopped right next to us. And I apologize, there was only one black suburban. We thought there was two, there's only one. And it was one of the owners of the property, known owners and the psychic next to them. And, you know, they just started talking. He was talking to this individual who was under a non disclosure agreement. And I'm talking to the individual who had just come off the property. And so this looks really bad. And basically, the psychic was kind of like doing her thing on me. I think she started giving more information about what she was into and the organization that she was a part of. And it's actually a group that do this. But yeah, they're worried about things like 
Russian remote viewers, hmm. Chinese remote viewers, ex remote viewers who have done things for the property under Bigelow, possibly who are just going back for a walk down memory lane. <laughs> it's interesting. It is. And earlier you said it's like they know you know. And that's interesting because it seems like these people, these high level academics and scientists, will come out to this area to research it. And you're there, you live there. So if they know what's going on out here and how much activity there really is, they seem to come to you and it's like, hey man, <laughs> I know you're out here all the time. You've probably seen some shit. They might have a different context, but you might have a wider breadth of experiences and some interesting conversations form around that, don't they? Absolutely. I've had some guests in the past that it started to get to be like, it was a reality show. And I was just like, every guest, I was just like, I wonder if this is somebody. Like, <laughs> One of my favorite guests was this individual who is a uh, consultant on a lot of not only major motion pictures having to do with this sort of thing, but also on the actual projects that have to do with this sort of thing. And when you have those two nets casting at the same time, that's when you know you know. That's one of those moments. And this individual was staying at the bed and breakfast. I basically didn't know who he was. When he started to tell me who he was, my jaw hit the floor. And he's got a buddy with him. And the buddy works in a scientific lab. And he said, I can't even tell you what he does. What he does makes what I do look like I'm selling a used car salesman. And so, you know, your eyes really start to just get bigger and bigger to the possibilities of what's really going on, especially with the implementation of Space Force. This is no joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is so interesting because there's not a lot of places to stay out there. So they find this bed and breakfast and you're the guy. And that's kind of the the magic. You know, the magic happens at that point. And it is just really compelling because even 30 years ago, the mindset of someone who goes out to rural Utah and stays at this bed and breakfast, they might get a little loose lipped because we weren't as connected as we are today. So it might not be expected to appear in a book that's sold on Amazon or an anecdote told on a podcast that tens of thousands of people hear. That isolation kind of filters through what you know, you expect it to stay isolated because you're in that environment. So I don't know. I just find that whole thing to be pretty compelling. Oh, it literally back then. And I say back then because there's a new era now. Unfortunately, I went to the uh, hotspots, these areas of portals opening up and, you know, the guaranteed UFOs and maybe we'll see something cool. And I, I went to these places just thousands of times. And the problem with that is I always went home afterwards hmm. and without the correct protocol, whether it's Native American and saging myself before I go home or whether it's other protocols. I didn't do any of it. I, you know, was like a kid that had found a toy that he didn't know how to use. And I was jamming back and forth every night. Mm -hmm. And so what happened is the property itself, and actually this is the drawback, is I eventually had to like leave the property because it just started having so much activity. And I didn't like being home, quote unquote, and having all that activity taking place because that kind of takes the fun out of going and finding it when it's finding you. Mm -hmm. And then I started having people coming and staying and, and they were involved with the paranormal and the secret was starting to get out and they were having interactions with this too. And they were like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And I'm like, oh, no, really? So I've since moved, but I do go back at least once a month. Hmm. So let's talk about this new era you mentioned. You know, everyone considers the Skinwalker Ranch synonymous with Bigelow. He had this big facility with a big alien gray head stamped on the side of it. But the ownership has changed hands since then to a company called Antimantium, which is, you know, I guess involves a figure that you refer to as the Wolverine as a pseudonym. What can you tell us about this changing of the hands or the new management? It's so cool. Well, it's interesting. It's a political move in one way, and we'll get into that. But it's also just sort of the thing that wealthy people do now is they used to be they went out in hot air balloons, 
Now they just like to collect these paranormal properties among some of them. This LLC, Adamantium, obviously the name comes from the, I believe it's a Marvel character, the Wolverine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he has this upgrade, quote unquote, in his blood that makes him better and also has similarities to actual skinwalker phenomena of the shape-shifting. There's a couple interesting points there. But more importantly, it's a shell company that can't be attacked. And it's based out of Delaware. And they're doing actual research. They are catching actual craft in the sky. They're finding things out about the property with trying to time the opening of portals and analyzing tremors and all kinds of really intense research. And they're a very good organization to do it. And you say in one way it's a political move. Is that referring to the protections offered by a shell corporation? I think so. I think everybody involved, so to speak, is more protected in this way. The more that the property has has gained notoriety, it's become obvious that anyone who owns it, and let's face it, if any of us were billionaires, we'd probably do the same thing. You know, just, oh, that's a super cool paranormal ranch. And I understand because they're put in a position of extreme liability, you know, when it's of government importance to the Department of Defense, among many other branches. And you also have branches of the government that aren't even supposed to exist that are interested, Mm -hmm. these rogue arms of intelligence. And then you have like the media starting to get involved and, and locals. I mean, the secret's out. You know, you get weekend warriors there every weekend now. And it's just not a good mix. So I can understand why they put it in an LLC and took a step back. Mm-hmm. Well, you also mentioned something in the book that I'd never thought of, but you mentioned an experiment where they planted some plants within the zones of paranormal activity and then some more distant from the ranch. And there was a difference in the quality of life of these plants. And the ones that were inside the zone were a little more damaged And that's going to set off alarm bells to someone thinking, oh, man, maybe this is dangerous to all biology or maybe there's some radiation going on. Just the kind of things you don't want to be liable for if you are in charge of a bunch of people working in an area that maybe turns out to be unsafe. Correct. And it was like not just a little bit different. I mean, like one plant was toast and the other one was like doing really well. And they have found that there's like a higher rate of cancer, brain cancer. There's a higher rate of other diseases, other things like ALS, MS. To put it in a, I don't know, I I don't know how to like get it across. It's just not probably, and less like we were talking about, people are going to cleanse themselves of some of these areas they're in that are highly energized. I mean, it's just their portal locations, pretty much. And for whatever reasons, there's, Different underground seismic activity happening in these locations, higher electromagnetic frequencies, radon gas in many cases. You know, when you see these lights close up, the typical problem, and it's quite common, is these people end up with cancer. And it's either skin cancer or deeper cancer. It's oftentimes involves lymph nodes or the blood itself, like leukemia. It's not a good environment. Yeah, I get the impression that there's some baked-in universal mechanisms to keep the dimensions separate, whether you think of just one spiritual dimension or something. There's definitely supposed to be uh, a hierarchy or some separation, at least, between them. And we've heard stories of old ascended masters coming down and teaching people and saying things like, I can't stay here long, or if I'm here too long, it'll start to hurt you. And this kind of thing. So I fully believe that there is something to that, that maybe crossing the streams is bad for your biology. Yeah, it is bad. And it's not just that there's a darkness, I think, in some of these areas that until you're in them, they're kind of raw. I don't want to really call it dark, but it's very raw. And in a lot of cases, you're not going to have like sidewalks where you, you're going to be walking your dog late at night, things like that. No, there's like actual predators that eat your dog and could eat you. 
I mean, there's cougars and coyotes everywhere, and it's not not forgiving territory. <laughs> Man. Well, I do a lot of things that aren't good for me, so I definitely understand the attraction of putting yourself in that mix despite the risks and dangers. And I wanted to read a little bit from this latest book where you refer to this character, the Wolverine, as a surreal, real-life superhero and that he is trying to get to the truth of this high strangeness going on, much like Robert Bigelow, a larger-than-life personality who succeeds at everything he becomes involved with. And it's interesting because it seems like in the last few years, there's a lot of gamesmanship around this very thing. American Cosmic, as I mentioned, seems to reveal some things. The To the Stars Academy thing happened. The Pentagon did disclose a recent program for investigating these things. Podesta and Hillary were talking about this stuff before the election. The CIA even disclosed some remote viewing stuff from Project Stargate. I just feel a weird energy around the idea of revealing these things. Obviously, disinformation is at play, but how do you assess these last couple years and the idea that we're close to some sort of revealing? It feels potent. I think we are. I almost don't even think it's a question of disclosure anymore. It's almost like soft disclosures already happened. Mm -hmm. And now all it is, is waiting for this footprint to kind of get blown around the rest of the population. And I do think that a lot of this is worrisome to government. I'm not a fan of government. I'm like completely not a fan of government. However, mm -hmm anybody in the ruling class would be sweating under the collar a little bit the moment anything and everything is possible in this matrix that they are supposedly controlling. Mm -hmm. It's the ultimate monkey wrench in the system. Indeed. And you mentioned that perhaps soft disclosure has already happened. And I agree with you. But like I said in the introduction, there are just so many different angles and perspectives to this whole phenomenon being someone who's there at ground zero, if I were to say to you, I guess, okay, so soft disclosures happened, where would I see it? You know, what researchers or what angles do you look at as being the closest to the actual truth as you see it? The unfortunate reality of this is that it is a association between either a intradimensional plasma intelligence that's non-corporeal, doesn't need a body in many cases, and can assume bodies if it does, in at least the sense that we perceive them as something they aren't. But we're talking about intelligences communicating with individuals. And so there's really no way, there's a lot of researchers that are very close, but I really think it's the elephant in the dark room. Some have the snout, others have the tail, and they're all touching it. But the agreement, especially politically between some of these deep organizations, it's just a shotgun blast against the wall. You know, nobody's in line with one another. And I believe it will remain a mystery until there's some form of like, hey, it's okay to disagree. <laughs> right. So, but obviously that truth, that core truth is going to be in line with a bunch of other angles that would be fiction. So you think it's some multidimensional space. Obviously we've talked about portals, but it seems like we're also kind of talking about two different things. Some kind of non-human entity that is coming in and out of our reality through these portals. And then skinwalkers, which are human Native American shamans who have mastered some practice of shape-shifting. Maybe that's due to the qualities of the environment, but how many different things do you think we're dealing with here? I mean, those are probably two distinct phenomenon at least, right? They are in that there's multiple phenomena taking place here, and that's the beauty of this. It's like showing up at, you're expecting it to be a Catholic mass, and what you end up with something like the EDC festival. Mm -hmm. Everything is in these areas at times. There's been situations where, again, I can't use names or even organizations that they belong to, but 
researchers have seen actual portals opening up. The researchers are watching the portals opening up. And then they look over and there's greys watching the portals opening up. It's like there's random coincidences that can't be explained or synchronicities, if you will. As soon as this dimensional rift is opened, it's kind of a anything goes. Man, so we know what skinwalkers generally look like. We know what an alien gray looks like. Are there other types of humanoids, especially in the context of something coming through a portal? Are there other shapes or forms that you could describe that you know have been seen in that area? Yeah, there are what can only be described as raptor-like creatures or small dinosaurs. There are blue balls of light that fly around. They look like it's like a blue liquid, like Selsun blue spiraling around inside of like a fishbowl. And there's other things like you were talking about. The skinwalker aspect, the actual witch elemental spirit aspect. Every one of these witches create what they consider a familiar, a spiritual servant. These elemental spirits are basically just elaborate thought forms, very similar to like in the Kabbalah, the way they would make the golems out of mud. And the procedure that gives life to this in this physical world is similar, but not completely the same. But it's the same powerful familiar, keeping them in line. There's like a hierarchy of these in many covens, if you will. Mm -hmm. So if you do this for generations and generations, no matter where you are, whether it's the Middle East or the Uinta Basin of Utah, and this is what Jack Vallee found, or one thing that I probably shouldn't even say his name, but there's commonalities. These are tricksters in a lot of cases that are very similar to gin in that they can manifest out of this it looks like bugs like a mist like a black smokeless fire if you will Mm -hmm. and it'll just like swoosh into forms usually at night on a new moon so you can't really you're just catching glimpses it'll do it in the day sometimes but Mm. there's something going on here that this particular entity the gin like trickster It just wants to interact with the observer. So it mimics in a lot of ways. It will become something that you expect to see. Hmm. Wild. And maybe just one of the properties of this place is that thoughts can come to life with less effort. I definitely think that they can, but maybe it just is a a kind of place where that is amplified and just quite potent. And You mentioned organizations, some that you can't name, but one that I believe we can name is the National Institute for Discovery Science. Can you tell us a little bit more about them or where they are now? Yeah, they were the first of their kind that I knew of. They were the all-star team of top scientists, whether physicists or with essentially traits that encompass all of these practices, a lot of nanotechnologists. They attacked this with the scientific method. And, you know, although they came away saying we didn't succeed, at least in their own eyes, these are the best of the best. They're not used to anything other than total success. And instead, what they found is that trickster mentality would just know it was precognitive. If you would think of it, it was one to 10 steps ahead of you. However, They did find that sometimes using random number generation, they were able to throw a curveball. Hmm. I know Valet has said something to the effect of when you look at the UFO spikes and the hot pockets, it suggests a schedule of reinforcement, some kind of like Pavlovian training. And that's a really provocative idea. Maybe it is like something the trickster has set up, but have you been able to maybe clock these things or see a pattern yourself as to when the best chances to go out are? Yeah, there's a lot of things they love, but as an observer, the less comfortable you are, the better. If you're not familiar with exactly what's going on or where you're at, 
but you just know you're in the right spot. That's ideal, you know, with GPS coordinates or whatever, because anything that you can think in advance. So if you bring a flashlight, guess what? You're probably not going to need it. Hmm. If you bring a voice recorder, you're probably not going to need it. So the less you bring, the better, but just bring the awareness that whatever you put your mind into will actually manifest. And by that, I mean a lot of the best examples that I've had personally with other researchers are if somebody is thinking about something, for example, there was a trip where one of us was thinking about getting caught, red and blue lights, even though we had every permission to be where we were at. And basically red and blue lights appeared in the distance and started flashing and coming towards, you know, in an area where there's no road and it's only when they come closer that you realize that this is all just kind of like a hologram or a representation of somebody's fear. Hmm. Wow, man. And that pattern element, it just really makes me think about that idea of an ancient artificial intelligence in place. I've had shows that covered the angle that the earth might've been in some sort of quarantine form from something deep in our past, that there could be some technological system still on autopilot that people are dealing with, even that perhaps the Van Allen radiation belt is something to keep us in. What are your thoughts on that? The fact that maybe what we're dealing with today has something to do with the ancient past. 100% has changed. I used to always go out and I was very basic would say a little quick prayer, you know, keep me safe and I'd be on my way. Well, that's completely changed. Like now, depending on where I'm at, the last time I was like in a real dark hot spot, I use the invocation of Thoth as a backup plan because mm. I can't do better than like the Egyptian of God magic and writing. <laughs> and you're throwing these things out there, just like insurance policies, really, because the truth is, a lot of these deeper teachings, like Egypt, I mean, you have these demigods, the heads of dogs and the bodies of men, mm. and others that look more like the avians, you know, with the head of a bird and the body of a man, similar to thought. And this is just blatant in your face stuff without even getting into the cuneiform and the deep, deep, deep teachings. This is just on the surface and it's very alien like it is and it's also provocative like you say to have this culture that drew a lot of depictions of animal headed humanoids and then we also have these indigenous native american tribes who also have this practice of high magic and animal headed humanoids i don't know it's very strange that it seems like perhaps a culture that has been, I can't say undisturbed by the Western world. Of course, they've been quite disturbed, but they still have some of their culture intact. And it harkens back to that same kind of possibly Egyptian magic. I think that is fascinating. It is. It's extremely fascinating. The correlations between, it's a deep, dark Google search. But if you go down the rabbit hole and you start Googling Jin invocations middle east and videos and like the candles they're using and the stuff they're writing on the ground and the direction they're facing and all this and then you compare it to some of these other cultures you're finding out they're using almost the exact same basic tool and how do they know it <laughs> in a lot of these cases you're talking about people that are you know removed by geography and time and it's wild mhm mm Man, and on the subject of portals and covert research, let me grab another quote from this unreleased book where you say, I have long maintained that there was a Russian element of research near this area. This was because of inside information I got about an under-the-table land grab purchased with Spanish gold bars, possibly from the Lost Roads mine, by a Russian named Slugger. Slugger said the property was to be used for portal technology. He said that his organization would put things into a man-made stargate that was put in this precise location to gain power. The objects that were placed in the stargate machine would arrive in Florida 15 minutes later at another stargate machine. The location in Florida was said to be Cape Coral. 
Jesus, man. <laughs> That's uh, quite a paragraph. Can you elaborate at all on that? Yeah, it was just a weird deal where I got a phone call and it sounded really interesting. I went to the office of the realtor and they told me what was going on, basically. And it was a crazy story. I went and checked out the area, very plain, but went back at night, not plain at all. Realized that a lot of the same aspects were similar. Power lines going right through, lots of water, massive cliff lines, same basic trajectory, if you will, along the landscape. And all these similarities were in place. And it was like, oh my gosh, like, what are we missing here? Like, there's an actual threat, and it is Russian, unfortunately, and in some cases, Chinese. And they're trying to duplicate what they believe we've got. And I don't know what it is they think we've got. Well, actually, I do. But <laughs> we've got a lot. It's a threat. I guess it's got to be treated as one. <laughs> well, what do we got that you don't think even listeners of a show like this know we got? I mean, just drones, I guess, is what we would call them now. But, you know, we've had these quote unquote drones that are able to do very effective jobs of surveillance and have been used in rural areas since possibly as early as the 70s, hmm. according to some estimations. And I mean, we're talking about little tiny triangles, little tiny reverse engineered, really crazy anti-grav stuff. <laughs> and a lot of this stuff, unfortunately, if you're on the right path, some of it is actually being leaked by the Russians themselves, the older stuff. And you're seeing that they have this quote unquote reversed engineered idea, but it's way late. <laughs> Provocative. And you have a few lines about Podesta and Tom DeLonge in that book. And a lot of people don't trust these sources. I agree, rightfully so. But if their angle was disinformation, what do you see as the deception? What are they steering us towards and what are they steering us away from that you think would be important? You know, I don't like to call it deception. It is different perception is what I think it is. And I think these guys are just, they're just wanting the same thing as anybody, which is more answers. Yeah, there's disinformation out there. Sure, Project Bluebeam was a real thing could still be. But at the end of the day, there's actual entities interacting with us in areas like Sedona, Uinta Basin. And it's a lot more common than people are realizing. And I hate to sound like the crazy guy, but I love to go out with my skeptic buddies. They're the very best because you don't have to say too much. <laughs> when they see it, the first thing is just the immediate quick little micro meltdown i don't get it whoa whoa, whoa 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 and it's kind of like no it's been here before your very eyes it's just nobody goes out to look hmm. i agree with you man and as this thing is kind of approaching the finish line what have we left out maybe or what could be said to make this the super show we set out to make. I think it's actually quite good and full of little nuggets that I think are enjoyable. But are there other pieces of the big puzzle that we should fold in to make this whole thing more complete? Well, there is this critical and groundbreaking political war that we have going on. And hmm. it is permeating every aspect from ufology to deep underground military bases, whoever you're talking to, secret societies, somehow this is becoming, it's not a pretty picture that even organizations that should be working together are letting politics get in the mix, so to speak. But, you know, there's a lot to it. There could be witchcraft, Babylon working, spirit kicking, secret deals, space force, and it could be the end of a lot of things. It could be the end of religion. It could be the end of the church. It could be very likely the end of Pope Francis and the Catholic Church. <laughs> and this is just a magical time for so many things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Food for thought, for sure. And we know more than we did two years ago, I got to say. So that's something. 
And whenever I have guests who have an array of strange paranormal experiences, it's pretty common for me to ask about, you know, well, where should I go or what could I do? But a lot of these people don't have bed and breakfast. So I guess I would ask if someone were to stay at your bed and breakfast and then explore the surrounding area of their own free will, is it close enough to some of the hot spots of activity that one might see something? Yeah. And I wouldn't even get caught up in like, you know, do you have to be here and do you have to be there? It's anywhere, really. You just have to be in the area. The area would be anywhere along Interstate 40 in the Uinta Basin between the Strawberry Pinnacles, which are these two rock antenna that kind of jet up in this canyon where a lot of UFOs are seen, and pretty much Bernal or the Colorado border on the same stretch. Anything along that corridor, basically, of high strangeness, it's very similar to the 37th parallel, you know, Ben Misrick's book. It's like a corridor of high strangeness, mm. like an interstellar highway. <laughs> right on. Well, maybe I will spend some time out there or take some road trips along that corridor or maybe look into that bed and breakfast sometime. But it would be a dream to see even a quarter of the things you've seen, man. And I do appreciate you writing the books and reaching out and talking to me and coming here with all this great info. I think people are really going to love it. Before we call it in, do remind them where they can get more of what you're doing and follow your work. You bet. It's basically all available on ryanpatrickburns.com where you can find it on Amazon. That easy. I should mention one more, actually. You can find on Facebook, you can find me at Space Wolf Research. Okay, okay. And I saw some references to you within the context of Hero Paranormal, but it seems like that website's not active. What's the deal there? Yeah, Hero Paranormal is now just a Facebook page. We still do stuff on there, but it's not as active as it used to be. So we disbanded the actual webpage and it was getting all kinds of attacks. And stuff, so. mm, mm. As you do tend to get, but <laughs> very much appreciated, man. I had a great time. Keep up the great work and stay safe out there. Thanks so much, Greg. Appreciate it. Well, there ain't no party like a skinwalker party because a skinwalker party don't stop. Ryan Patrick Burns. Another plus member turned guest. You know, when I look at our shows for April, they are all shows that came to me. And I just said, yeah, let's do it. Jay Dyer sent me his new book and got in contact and also mentioned that he listened to the KJ show just before we recorded. Peter Allen was a listener who got in touch with me. Randall Carlson was prompted as a favor to Gramerica to promote their event. Ryan is a plus member who said he had some good insider's info. And the next show is also someone who brought me their work and asked if I'd be interested in covering it. Obviously, only recording five shows a month, there's no way I could keep up with the requests. But this month was pretty heavy on them. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's just an interesting thing that happened. And I'm not complaining. I think we've had a great month of shows, and it's not over yet. But wait until we get into May, where we actually get into the guest request that I sent out. I got some barn burners in the works, let me tell you. But never mind all that. I am just happy today's show turned out so well. I thought Ryan had some really interesting stuff to share. In fact, I thought it complimented Dr. Diana Pasolka really well because both of them have sort of rubbed elbows with these people who are really in the know, and we get to ride in their wake a little bit. And man, there just really are so many dense and complex possibilities for what's really happening at some of these paranormal hotspots. You know, I've always liked the magical idea of a hierarchy of realms and that you can kind of bring your airy-fairy thoughts down from the ethereal into the dense and solid world of the material. And what if that mechanism is stronger or weaker at various places of the earth? What if these paranormal entities are literally the things of nightmares? 
going back centuries. Maybe nightmares of people who aren't even alive anymore. I also like that idea that we're seeing these forms pop in and out of existence as if there's some physical trace of remote viewers from some other part of the universe. Remote viewers do say that sometimes it feels like something knows that they're there. You might remember an older show I did with Gordon White, who also just had Dr. Pasolka on a second time. But there was this older show we did where we got into alien ghosts, and that has just stuck with me because we think about ghosts and spirits in this limited context of our place on the Earth. But if we are in the camp that other planets out there have life, I think most of us are, then these things we deal with here have to be scaled up you know, to a cosmic level. Remote viewing, of course, is one of those things that comes to mind. Because if Russell Targ is telling us that space, time, distance, none of that matters in remote viewing, then that would hold true for some out there alien beings doing remote viewing as well. Remember Dr. Jack Hunter talking about his vision of a floating goat head? Like, <laughs> what is that? I do not know, but I think... We're comfortably at the big kids' table now when it comes to breaking down the possibilities. I also thought the aspect of liability was pretty interesting, that these dimensional rifts might be cancer-causing or just generally bad for biological life. Think about some of the shows we've done that get into alchemy. Especially Ormus and these guys like Don Nance. They definitely have suffered health effects from fucking around with the transmutation of elements. So that idea that a corporation who buys Skinwalker Ranch and wants to have people study it might be worried about lawsuits and damage control, it makes sense. <laughs> but shit, you got companies like Monsanto and DuPont who have been poisoning the planet and its people for decades, and they don't really seem to be sweating it. Anyway, we do have another joint session tonight. Check social media and the Plus site for the link about an hour beforehand. And maybe I'll talk to you tonight at 7 p.m. Pacific. These joint sessions are always free for anyone to watch live or call in. And they're archived for those sweet, sweet Plus members that keep the fuel in the THC tank. Consider signing up if you haven't already. I definitely think getting the full show with these episodes is worth it, but I might be biased. In this one, we added several logs to the fire, talking about what the Podesta-Clinton team was looking to do with Disclosure. We get into the idea that maybe the Machine Elves people see actually built this planet. We talk about Ryan's personal paranormal experiences and his stories from investigating the area, and we get into giants and whatever else is underground in Utah. Joe Firmage in the Bouncing Box. That is super, super interesting. You gotta look that up on YouTube or something because it's impressive. And we talked about Ryan's thoughts on Stephen Paddock and that whole Harvest Festival shooting and how it did seem to connect to the space industry in a few different ways. And maybe it's related. And last, but certainly not least, we talked about Plasma based intelligences people <laughs> so help me help you and sign up for the higher side chats plus already you got one foot in i think it's time to commit and with that i'm getting out of here big thanks to ryan for sharing his insights with us i definitely liked his books and i declare this meeting of the midnight society officially closed your move, desert stalking skinwalkers corporate hotspot quarantiners and workers of the wolverine your fucking lucid dreams are so vivid cause you go to bed at seven and your brain comes alive cause you hate your nine to five you wake up with a dread and make sure your cats are fed did your brain talk to a ghost who moved your coffee and your toast as you listen to the higher side chats you get to your desk and your boss says it's a mess And your soul slowly grows to a place where nothing grows When you think he's not around, you insert a SETI sound The OM says turn it down and you say it's just the higher side chats 
you think you'll be invited to Bohemia Grove to a Bilderberg Club? Oh, do you think you'll be invited by a Rothschild to a party on a submarine? Diving down to the center of the earth, to the Marianas Trench, your teeth begin to clench from the sulfurous stench. The mask you're given doesn't fit Cause you're not one of them Starting today, you'll make plans to get away There's no one to hold you down And the what-ifs start to drown Then you wake to the glare of a cold fluorescent stare And the light winks at you Cause its life is almost through But it's holding on to quit time just like you It's time for the high side chats. Hey, 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 hey